Well, a number of years ago, when I was a college student, I had the joy of being a camp counselor. How many of you have had the chance to be a camp counselor? All right, good. So I have a sympathetic audience here. This is good. I don't know if you all remember, I was primarily working with middle schoolers. Uh, I don't know if you all remember this feeling. Uh, Monday, they all get dropped off. And uh, so I'd, I'd round the boys up, we'd have a conversation, and I would give them instruction on what the week was going to look like and what they should do. And some of them, you could tell, were listening and ready to respond. But many of them looked at me with that wonderful look of, you're not my dad. <laughs> to which that is correct. Yes, I was not their father. And it was difficult to give them instruction if they weren't willing to listen and heed that instruction. But why should they believe what I was telling them? Why should they trust me? Uh, often, that week would end up going really well, and by the end of the week, we were great friends. But it was difficult for them as kids coming into a setting. They don't know me. They have little trust in me. So why should they listen to what I'm going to say to them? You know, for adults, there are many situations we find ourselves in, in something similar. It's hard to listen to instruction and guidance given from somebody that we don't know. Why should we trust them? Why should we listen to what they have to say? And that could be in the workplace. That could be medical care. That could even be in close relationships, even within the family sometimes, to say, uh, it's hard for me to listen to your instruction. My guess is some of us find ourselves relating to this in our relationship with God. How can I trust what God's told me to do? Sometimes that instruction is actually really hard. That's the question I want to press us with today. I want to start with a question of thinking about how can we trust God's instruction and seek to answer that later on in the sermon. I want us to feel the weight of this question, no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord today. How can we trust God's instruction? We've been studying the lives of those who are called out as ones who had faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but we've been looking at their Old Testament context and their stories in Genesis. And so turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, this is on page nine. And we're going to think about the life of Abram, Genesis chapter 12, and the life of Abram. Now, many of us will know the name Abraham. Uh, here, we are seeing the, the first reference to Abram before, in a few chapters, which we're not going to look at today, uh, Abram's name will be changed to Abraham as God uh, settles covenants with him and calls him further. But today, we meet Abram, and we're going to look at the first nine verses of Genesis 12 and think about Abram's response to God's instruction. So follow along as I read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem, at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Here we're introduced to this character, Abram, uh, who is in the line of Adam uh, through the line of Seth that we've studied in recent weeks. Uh, and here we, we see him uh, responding to instruction that God had given to him uh, with uh, his family of a wife and a nephew. And this morning, I want us to focus really on two different parts. One, uh, here first thinking of uh, God's instruction coming with promises. So we want to look at God's instruction and the reality that it comes with promises, primarily in verses one through three. So our first point this morning, God's instructions come with promises. Let's look at the instruction that God gave to Abram. He said to Abram in verse one, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He tells Abram to leave this land that he had been settled in with his family and to go out to a new land that God would show to him. I want you to understand the level of difficulty that this instruction would have brought into Abram's life. All right, he wasn't just jumping in a car to drive down the street or go to a city where he knew other people. Now, Abram at this point was called to go somewhere where he didn't know where it was or who would be there. And actually even harder was that he was called to leave everything that would provide him with stability and prosperity. He was called to leave family, his father's household, all those that would have been there with him, the land that they had claimed and, and been building and, and working on. This was a risky call. He's supposed to leave all of that to start wandering, to go and take his wife and his nephew and go out into a land of a lot of unknowns. This was not an easy instruction. Sometimes God's instruction might not make sense to us. Sometimes God's instruction might be really difficult for us. It might even seem impossible. And yet the question here is, could Abram trust God's hard instruction? Not just could he obey, but could he trust that this was actually instruction he should follow and respond to? But I want us to see that it's not just that God gave instruction, but he immediately also gives him these promises in the forms of blessings. Look at verses two and three. He says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Here is an assurance 
to Abram that following his instruction would lead to a blessing, would actually multiple blessings. One, that Abram would have a great nation. One of the reasons that this is so difficult is found up in chapter 11 in verse 30, where it tells us that Sarai, his wife, was unable to conceive and she did not have a child. So part of God's blessing for Abram here is that there will be a nation that comes from his name. For him, we must assume, would seem quite impossible when he doesn't have a child. And he is 75 years old. But God promised a great nation, many people. He promises to bring blessing there in verse 2. I will bless you. This promise of good, maybe even prosperity, that his name would continue on, that his life would be good. We see thirdly, God promises that Abram's name would be great. It's not just that there would be many people who would come from him and that he would be blessed, but that his name would be great, that he would be known, that many people outside of even his own family would know who Abram is and who his people are. Which leads to the fourth blessing, that he would be a blessing to others. That through Abram, he would be one to bless many other people, many other nations, as we see in verse 3. Described there that those who would bless Abram, they in turn would receive blessing. And those who would curse him, oh, they would receive contempt and punishment. All the peoples on earth would be blessed through Abram. And I don't want us to miss the last blessing that we're actually told about in verse 7. In a later time, as the Lord appears to Abram. To your offspring, I will give this land. Here, a very clear calling to the land that he's giving to Abram's family. Here, I just want to note what God's promises are assuring Abram of. As I noted, how hard the instruction would be for Abram, that he would have to leave family, would have to leave the land, he'd have to leave security, prosperity, ease of life. And here God is promising him that there would be land. There would be family. There would be blessing. The very things that he would lose from a human perspective in obeying God's instruction, he would gain through God's providence and care. And so for us to note that God's instruction here comes with a promise of blessing. It is not just an instruction to go out and do, but it comes with reality that God will bless those who follow his instruction. And this is not anything abnormal to the rest of scripture, because what we find out throughout scripture is that this is actually what God communicates about himself and what he promises to do in all areas. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33 Instruction given to the Israelites saying, follow the whole instruction the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live, prosper, and have a long life in the land you will possess. A further out descendant, Joshua, in Joshua 1.8, was given this instruction from God. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth, 
You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. But God's instruction and promise of blessing doesn't just stop in the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament writers, and in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, we're told the one who keeps God's commands remains in him, and he in him. God promises through his instruction that he will bless his people as we follow his instruction. This is the way that God cares for us as we listen to him and heed his instruction. I want us to try to put ourselves in in Abram's place. The difficulty of the instruction that he received, and yet the promise from God of blessing. What a risky thing. How many unknowns and concerns and fears might Abram face? Being told, leave the land, leave family, leave all that is secure for you and go somewhere else. And I'll tell you where. I wonder if God's instruction to us in his word seems just as risky. Creates just as much fear or concern at times. One bit of instruction I want to remind us of is Jesus' instruction in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus began to teach on this earth in his earthly ministry. He said, repent and believe the good news. He tells all people that they should be ones who are turning, forsaking sin and leaving it behind to move forward towards blessing from him. And he talks about that blessing, life eternal, of life with God, broken relationship restored. God's instruction throughout scripture comes with blessing. How often do we hear God's instruction and forget the blessing to come? And so here, we're compelled to think about why would Abram trust God? This God who has called him to leave everything that is comfortable and safe. I want to compel us in this text that we trust God's instruction because we have faith in our God of promises. We can trust God's instruction because we have faith in our God of promises. This is really what I want to press us into in the second point. To start thinking about how does our faith work itself out in trusting God. In being able to obey and follow his instructions. And so secondly in this sermon, I want us to see in the second half of this text, Abram's trust comes from faith. It is faith that leads us to trust in God. And so we pick up in verse four, that Abraham, Abram went as the Lord had told him and his nephew Lot decides to go with him. Verse five, Abram takes what his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all their possessions, all the people that are with him. And they set out for the land in Canaan. I want us to understand the depth of Abram's response here. In the face of hard instruction to leave everything behind, Abram does it. 
Now, we understand he took possessions with him. He took people with him. But he takes all of his things and he leaves. I think what's significant to me in this text is we're not told that Abram took some of his things and left some back in case the plan didn't work out. Right? There was no safety net. There was no going back. He took everything that was his and he left. He had complete trust in God's instruction, leaving nothing to come back to. Now, I use the word trust here very specifically because I want to press us in in how we think about really the nuance of trust and obedience. Because often we can find ourselves compelled to obey, but not really trusting that it's the right thing to do. We might obey out of duty or maybe out of the desire for the end result, the reward. What does it mean to obey when we actually trust? I believe Abraham exemplified trust in a way that he left everything, going towards something completely unknown. And he was trusting God. One example that I can give from my own life that's very practical is uh, when I worked in Detroit, Michigan. So for a season, my wife and I lived in Detroit. Uh, right when I moved there, it was 2007, 2008. Great time to be in Detroit. Uh, great crash of the economy. Lots of foreclosed houses. And I got a job maintaining homes for the bank. Now, I wish that you could have seen my face and my response the first time that my boss told me, yeah, I need you to go to this house, uh, break open the front door, take everything out of the house, throw it away, and change the locks. Yeah, right. Uh, I understand the consequences for doing such things when you're not supposed to, right? His instruction to me was a little ridiculous. And the first few times, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't go back and like double check the paperwork. Do I have the right address? Am I really supposed to throw everything away to maintain this house for the bank? Is that what I'm supposed to do? What trouble am I going to get myself into? And yet, I didn't just do what my boss told me to do because in the end it was going to pay me and forget the consequences. No, I was well aware of the consequences. If it was the wrong place, there would be severe consequences for me. And yet, I had to learn to trust that my boss knew what he was talking about that we'd actually received permission to do the work, that we were told to do this. I needed to be able to trust him. And over time, I I did. I was able to trust that the work he was giving me to do was the right work to be done. It would not come with any bad consequences to me. There's a big difference there for me between just obeying him and being fearful the whole time that something really bad was going to happen to me and actually trusting him that this is the work I was called to do. I think for us, in our Christian walk and in our life, we are called to trust God, which is more than just obey his commandments and to do what the Bible tells me because I know the end result will be good. It's to trust that his instruction is better for me than what I can do for myself or what my plan is or what I think is best. Abram was putting everything on the line to follow what God instructed him to do. Because he trusted that God's instruction would lead to true life. It would lead to something better. 
And I think we need to consider why we obey God's commands in Scripture. Why do you follow God's instruction? It's because God promised eternal life. It's because God promises blessing. Or at the root of it, you follow God's instruction in his word because you trust him. Because he is trustworthy. Part of this is that we get to know God in his word. That he is a God who is holy and just and right and who calls us to things that are holy and just and right. That we can trust his instruction because he as a holy God cannot give us instruction that will not be good for us, that will harm us or lead to evil. No, everything that God says to us is for our good and for his glory. Everything that God does reminds us that he is trustworthy. So holy God can only give us good and right instruction. And what he tells us to do can only be good. And so Abram trusts God with this instruction because he trusts who God is in his person and in his character. That he is a God worthy to be trusted. That his instruction will not lead us astray. And we see this because Abram has faith in God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, we see that the Lord appeared to Abram. Uh, significant language here that God himself appears before Abram and gives him instruction or in encouragement here to your offspring. I will give this land, the blessing you're going to receive this land. And what is Abram's response? He builds an altar. Remember God had appeared to him and promised this land, but it doesn't stop there. He, he moves on to the hill country. He goes towards Bethel and Ai and there he builds another altar to the Lord and calls upon the name of the Lord. You know, most often when we think about scripture and, and this idea of an altar, we're thinking about sacrifice uh, of a burnt offering or some other type of sacrifice, but we don't see Abram giving a sacrifice here. We see him building this altar to remember what God had promised and God's claim on that land. Through his actions, he is, he is he's helping us see, he is signaling that he has faith that God promised this. Therefore, God would make it happen. He isn't just traveling through the land and saying, well, I hope that happens. I hope I get that land. No, he's building an altar to say, this is God's land because he told me he's going to give it to me. A remembrance to all those who would come after that God promised this place. Faith that what God said he was going to do would happen. But we get further evidence of Abram's faith in God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is at the very uh, back of scripture. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at just a few verses that remind us of Abram's faith. Here we're being told of those who have gone before us, who have had faith, who are examples to us. We can follow after seek to imitate in our own lives. And here we're given insight to what Abram's faith looked like. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10 in Hebrews chapter 11. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And he set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Here we are told that Abraham left his land and obeyed God because of his faith that God had promised something greater, an inheritance that he would receive. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he'd end up. Honestly, in the end, he didn't even really know what he would have to show for it. And yet he had faith that what God said he would do, God was going to accomplish. And in verse 10, we get insight to his hope. Looking forward to a city that has foundations. Oh, but this is no ordinary city. It is a city that is constructed and built by God himself. Here's the center of Abraham's faith. In a God who promised a lasting inheritance. A God who could accomplish what he said he would accomplish. Abram was promised something that he had no idea what the end result would really look like. But he knew who the builder and the architect was. God himself. And so, in the confrontation of instruction that was hard to receive, that would put him in a place of uneasiness, perhaps fear, he could have confidence and faith because it was God who was the one that was going to do it. Not Abram himself. You know, earlier I mentioned the instruction that God gave us through Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 1. We're to repent and believe, finding our hope and trust in Jesus himself. You know, it can be hard instruction when we really stop to think about it. I would actually argue it's not all that different than some of the instruction that Abram received. You realize in our call to the gospel to repent of sin, to turn away from everything that is unfortunately natural to us, our actions, what we feel comfortable with, what we enjoy in this life in many ways, what we give ourselves to, we're told to repent of sin. Turn away from it. Leave all that behind. And to go to something new we might not know much of. That's a hard calling. To trust that when God tells us to repent of what is wrong and contrary to him and his holiness is actually a call to move towards something that we don't innately know in and of ourselves. We don't know the end result of our own holiness, our own sanctification. And yet God's instruction to us is that we turn from that life to a new life, trusting that God will do what he said he's going to do. Well, what did God promise to do? Through his son, Jesus Christ, he promised to give life eternal, life with God himself in a heavenly kingdom for those who would have faith that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin and rising from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death, that we would be ones who would have faith in him 
To receive eternal life is the promise. And so are we called to believe in Jesus Christ just because there's eternal life promised? No, we're not. We're called to have faith in Jesus Christ and to turn from sin because God is the one calling us. We can trust him. We can believe his instruction is good for us. And is it through our own strength? Oh, absolutely not. 2 Peter 1, 1, Ephesians 2, 8, they remind us that faith is a gift from God. Oh, that we would find ourselves having faith in God because he is doing a work in our hearts, not because we're working really hard at it. That we would obey God's instruction to turn in this life to God, to follow after him because of a work that God is doing in us to have faith that he is worthy to be followed and listened to. This is what we're all called to. You know, if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you don't have faith that what God has called us to is right and good, I'd encourage you, get to know God. Give yourself to knowing God. Pursue him. If he is worthy to be known, if he is worthy to be trusted in, to have faith in, get to know him. Honestly, don't just believe me. Take God's word. Read it with somebody that you know. Give yourself to to pursuing a knowledge of who God is. Ask him to show you if he is real and true and right and good and his instruction is worthy to be followed. Give yourself to knowing this God and trust in him. If you wonder what that might look like, talk to someone you came with. Come talk to me. Find yourself given to God's word, seeking him. We'd love to tell you more about what does it look like to pursue God, to know him and to see his work in our own lives. But I want to challenge all of us, particularly those who have already believed in the message of the gospel, saving faith, that it should change the way that we live going forward. If we've believed that Jesus Christ can save us from our sins, that that God has done a work in our hearts that we might have faith and eternal life for him, should that not change how we follow all of his instructions in his word? Not out of duty, not out of guilt, not out of fear of a God who would bring judgment upon us. No, we would change the way that we respond to instruction in God's word by looking more at God and who he is and what he has done for us in salvation. Should not our salvation compel us to live by faith in all that we do? If he has done such great work of salvation in our hearts, will he not carry us through all the other instruction he has given us in his word? And I get it. Sometimes his instruction is hard. It is hard to follow after God some days. But I trust that what he has called us to as his children is worthy to be followed because he has saved me. He has given his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross that I can know him. You know, I don't know exactly the land that I'm traveling to. I don't know what the path is going to look like. I don't know how hard it's going to be. Oh, but I can trust his instruction because I have faith in a God who made promises and his promises do not fail. So let me seek to apply this to our own hearts deeply. 
You might feel even in this life, the difficulty of being called to be a Christian. It might mean that you have forsaken a particular path in life. Perhaps a job of wealth or of success. That you've realized you're called to something else in this life. Not to make a name for yourself, but maybe to live more humbly before the Lord, before others. To find yourself caring for those that God has put in your life, whether that's family or other Christians. And therefore giving all your hours and all your time to a job no longer has a calling in your life. Do you believe that God has called us to actually care for one another? To not store up treasure on this earth, but to store up treasure in heaven? That instruction comes with a blessing. That we will know treasure beyond our greatest imagination. I don't mean wealth. I mean being in the presence of the Lord for eternity. To know that I can step away from what I think will give me prosperity and success and stability in this life to trust more in God and what he has called me to as a Christian. But I think that applies even to our struggle of identity. We hear this and talk about it much in our culture. I know even in this room, some who struggle with the identity that you feel realize that God has created you in a particular way. You struggle with same-sex attraction. If you struggle with gender identity, you struggle with maybe even singleness, celibacy for life, an identity that God has given to you that you are stuck with. And God's word calls us to live a life of morality, of sexual purity, of peace with what he has called us to. Can you heed God's instruction in his word that that's what we're called to as Christians? To live a life of morality? Well, not just for our own good. Not just to follow instruction because it's there. But because I have faith that God has promised me in his word that he'll sustain me through that. That he has promised a, a life of joy, happiness in him in a relationship with him, to know him, and to know that that relationship brings greater blessing than any relationship I could find in this life. And to be able to do that in hope of the kingdom to come. To have trust that God's instruction to live holy and purely in this life is worth it. Because in the kingdom to come, I'll be able to rejoice in that for eternity. But I also know that many in this room have been called to lives that aren't particularly easy. Life that at times brings suffering. Day after day. Pain, sorrow, whether that's sickness, the loss of loved ones, of frustrations in life. It's clear in God's word that God has called us to be ones who are okay with suffering. It actually tells us in his word, if we follow after him, there will be suffering. 
Can I be okay with that instruction that there's going to be suffering in my life? <laughs> and that through that suffering, I am supposed to rejoice and have joy. How can I do that? Because my faith informs my actions. My faith informs even how I respond to the difficulty of life. That I can trust in him. That God has allowed whatever it is that you're facing to strengthen you in your walk with him and your knowledge of him. To know this life, to be able to encourage others. Your suffering is not without purpose. And it is definitely not outside of God's plan. Can you trust God by faith to continue on, to find your hope in him, to rest assured that tomorrow is another day in which you have an opportunity to glorify God, to rest assured in him? I believe God has also called some of us to a life of unknowns. I know some of you in this room have lost jobs, can't find work, money is short. There might be other unknowns for you. What, what life is going to look like in the next few months or years? What your career will be? What, what you'll move into next? I don't know what all those unknowns are, but I do know that God is in control of them. Abram had no idea what to expect. He's going to set off across the wilderness among a people who are probably not all that friendly to a place he didn't know. He had no lack of unknowns. And yet, he trusted God. And he followed God's instruction. That God's instruction would bring blessing. And though we might not know what it looks like next and how it's going to turn out, we know that God will bring blessing into our lives. Joy. Rest in him. But I want to encourage us. For those of us that are in this room, who actually find it easy in this stage of life at this time to follow God's instruction and we rejoice in all that God has given us, oh, do share with us. Share with us the blessing that God has brought into your life. To be able to, to have faith and trust that you didn't do this in and of yourself. Praise God that he has given you all that you have. Can you share that with others? Can you remind those beside you this morning, those in your life, in small group, in, in your family, this is the way that God has blessed us and given us all things that we might know him more and rejoice in him more. See, my faith even transforms my understanding of the blessing that God has given to me. It is faith that God has given it to me now and trust that if he ever takes it away, it will not change the way that I glorify his name and praise him forever because he has given me life eternal in Jesus Christ. He has given me hope in himself. This is the transformative nature of faith in God's promise of blessing. We have faith in God alone. Abraham himself here in Hebrews 11 was hopeful and looking forward to that foundation, that architect, uh, the architecture that was built, that, that place where he would be with God forever. We find ourselves having faith in that God, the one who is in control of all things. Abram's trust in God was not solely rooted in this life, 
in what he would be given in this life, but faith was in God who promised and could deliver on that promise, life everlasting. You know, to return to my opening illustration, what helped my campers throughout five days of just awesomeness come to trust me as their counselor to give them good instruction? Is that we were together, that I was able to show myself faithful, that they could actually trust what I told them to do. I wasn't leading them off a cliff or into a pond. I was giving them good instruction. It was hopefully wise and helpful and encouraging. But it took them actually being with me and not just running off to a different counselor or back home to their parents, but to actually be with me. So how do we grow in our faith in God? Oh, to be with him in his work and with his people, to know him, to see examples of, of how he's been working out those promises throughout scripture and even in my own life, promise of sanctification and spiritual growth and new life. And challenge us all to find ourselves being with God on a daily basis. Be reminded, this is the God in whom we trust. My faith is found in him. So do you believe that God is trustworthy? Give yourself to knowing him. You'll see that God is indeed trustworthy, that we can have faith in him. So how do we trust all of his instruction? We trust God's instruction by having faith in the God who made promises. Would you join me in prayer? God, we give thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ. Through him, we have salvation and we have hope and we have joy in this life that otherwise left up to our own guidance and our own instruction and our own will would lead to death and fears and brokenness. So we ask that no matter what you allow into our lives and what we face and what you have given to us to know you more, that we would find ourselves turning time and time again to have faith in you that results in a trust of all that you've told us to do, following after you in your work. Or that we might be ones who rejoice in our salvation and live that out every day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.